So, I wonder what your earliest memory of a school trip is. I want to take you back to 1994. I was nine years old, I was in year five, and we went to a, uh, we were basically we were doing about Victorians in one of our topics of the term, and we went on a school trip, um, which hopefully will come up there in a minute. Here we are, Here's my, this is my class, this is year fives and sixes actually, it was that sort of school, it was a nice like, small village school, I'm there on the, you can tell because I'm the one in shorts, um, so there, there I am. Just, yeah, just not very, not very happy. And I'll tell you the reason why, actually. Um, so we, as part of our, of our day, we went around and sort of like explored this little, little area and found out different facts and stuff like that. And then we also did a, a traditional Victorian lesson, which uh, was delivered to us by someone I presume was some sort of actor, but um, in a traditional Victorian school teacher way and so we were writing on slate with some some chalk and stuff like that and she asked us 10 questions and we had to write them down and then she would pick us at random and she would and then you'd had to go up the front and um and actually write down the answer now question one question two question three came and went and i i, I knew the answer um but thankfully she didn't ask me and then question four came um and, and I didn't know the answer. And if you've ever been in this situation um, and you're thinking, don't pick me, don't pick me, don't pick me, don't pick me. Oh, no. And, and she, she picked me at random. And, and I had to stand up. Basically, I had, to, had this chalk in my hand. I had no idea what I was going to be writing. And, and I just, my mind just went complete blank. And she, as a, as a Victorian school teacher, was very unkind. Um, and, and I was just stood there in front of my class and in front of the, the school teacher and I just couldn't, just did not know the answer. And I would say that the, uh, the overriding feeling that I felt in that moment, and you might have felt it in, in certain times, similar or dissimilar, was one of shame. And shame which can be defined as a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong behavior. In that situation, I honestly, I felt humiliated. I felt distressed because I got it wrong and because people saw it. Now, you might be here for the first time and thinking, what on earth is he going on about talking to us about 1994? Um, but actually, there was, a, there was a time when man and woman felt no shame at all. It just wasn't a thing that they, that they knew of. And it wasn't just that they felt no shame um, towards someone who was playing a Victorian school teacher. It wasn't that they felt no shame towards their classmates who they also knew probably got things wrong. But actually, they didn't feel any shame towards each other or towards a holy, perfect God, which is really hard for us to comprehend. They stood before God and they felt no shame in any part of their being. Over the last few weeks, we've been going through chapters 2 and 3 in the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. We've seen how God created this paradise, created Adam and Eve in his own image to live there. And at the end of chapter 2, it says that the man and woman were naked and they felt no shame. No shame physically. So in terms of the nakedness, it wasn't just physically, 
but it was also emotionally and spiritually a bearing all of everything that they were towards a holy God. No defense before each other or before him. Then last week, we read about how they were deceived by Satan into disobeying God's instruction of not eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eve ate some of the fruit, gave some to Adam, who was standing there, but clearly doing nothing to halt the situation, and he ate some too. They were now ashamed in paradise, which is the title of this talk. And we're going to be reading through the, first, the bit of chapter 3 about what happened the very first time their desire led to their wrongdoing against God, that which the Bible calls sin, and this leads to the separation from a holy God. And whether you're sitting here listening to this as a Christian or not, actually, I believe this is going to be helpful for you because actually we're all impacted by this moment. Yeah? It, there's consequences of this impact our whole world. So if you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. If you've got a, your Bible, can you open it there? That would be helpful. If you don't have a paper Bible, then you can look at it on an app. If you don't have the app, then you can look at it on your phone on the internet. Just get it online. However, what I would say is that if you're there who's someone who doesn't have access to a Bible and you'd really want to have access to a Bible and you know that in the future you'd love to have access to a Bible, why don't you go over to, on the connect point after the service, go and talk to someone there. We would love for you to have access to a Bible. So, chapter 3 of Genesis, verses 7 to 13. But we're just going to be going through it verse by verse. Okay, so starting with verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them, so they've just eaten the fruit, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. There they were, standing in paradise. They ate the fruit and all of a sudden their eyes were opened. Their innocence was gone, where before they had a perfect relationship with God now that was no more there was a spiritual death which had occurred and it was the first time that they had felt shame now they are aware of their spiritual emotional and physical bodies in a way they were aware of it but they were aware of it in a way which was actually spoiled by the knowledge that they had because that knowledge was evil and was tainted by sin and they realized their weakness their lack of defense, their nakedness, their vulnerability. This was a monumental anticlimax to the dream of enlightenment that they'd been promised to by Satan. They saw and they knew, but actually that additional knowledge was tainted by sin. Sin had written on its menu that there was going to be a series of wonderful ingredients to entice them, but actually what had been served up was a spiritual death a breakdown in the relationship with God, guilt, shame. And the first thing they did, they tried to work it out. They sewed fig leaves together, they made coverings for themselves. You sense, you sense the unease of them in this moment of being uncomfortable with each other, signified by the barriers of the fig leaves. They started working to try and solve the problem. And actually, that's something that we, we often find ourselves doing. 
you know, we do something wrong, we try and, we try and cover it up. I tell a lie over here, and actually then I need to tell a lie over here as well to cover up this lie. Or I do something wrong over here, and, and I might do something which is, which is fundamentally good, but I'm doing it to cover up something that's going on over here. From day one after sin entered the world, we've been trying to work hard to get our innocent back and cover our shame from each other and ultimately from God as well. The thing is, the Bible says that God knows us and sees us exactly as we are. Fig leaves and the way that we try and cover ourselves up is not going to be enough. It says in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Sometimes on our week to week, we can, in our thoughts and our actions, if we only see each other like, you know, maybe once, once a week or something like that, actually we can, we can fool other people. We, yeah, we can pretend that everything's okay. We can put things on our social media or we can just make sure that the things that we tell people about are all positive and it'll all be okay. But actually, a God who nothing is hidden from his sight, impossible. Let's move on to verse 8. Then the eyes, no, sorry, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The great gardener had not abandoned his garden. He knows what's happened, but he's still going to pursue them. But now, the man and his wife are not just trying to cover themselves up from each other, they're trying to hide. They're trying to hide from this all-seeing, all-knowing God, which again seems ridiculous were it not be for the fact that we do it every single day ourselves. Don't know about you, but, and not quite confession time, but we'll, we'll go with it anyway. So there's definitely times that I've had when I've, I've done something which I know is probably not great in God's eyes. And actually, I, I'm not necessarily, I, I won't hide behind a tree, but I'll think to myself, well, if I don't, if I don't sort of like have my normal prayer time, then I can't be confronted by it. Or, alternatively, I have my, you know, have my time when I'm praying, but I will spend all my time just talking to God, talk, 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 asking him, okay, you bless this person, will you help this person, would you heal this person? And then be like, okay, get away quickly before actually God can say anything to me. It's exactly the same thing. And something which really, you know, our time relating and communing with God should be this wonderful time with the King of Kings, the creator of all things, and then all of a sudden it becomes this awkward, uncomfortable moment. And that's exactly what we had here. What should be precious time for them now is not. We have this moment in the garden where they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Now we've been learning over the, over the last few weeks about the Lord God. Notice here that he is still the Lord God. He's still that gracious, loving, kind God. He's not, he's not a far off God. He wants, to, he wants to know them. And the Lord God was walking in the garden to enjoy his creation and desire to be with in their company. And what would normally have filled their hearts with joy, all of a sudden 
is sending them cowering. Can you picture it? The Lord God in the cool of the day wanting to speak to them about all kinds of things. And now all of a sudden those footsteps mean something very different because of what they've done. The one who used to walk with them in the garden, they now cower away from and hide. The paradise they lived in now feels like a prison trapped in sin and shame with no way out. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Again, saying this is the Lord God, it's not a far off God, he's someone who wants to know them personally. And notice the tone, notice the tone in the question as well. Where are you? It's not, come out here now. It's, where are you? There's an invitation there for them to respond. And I wonder, in those three words, whether actually God would say something to you and to I today. He would say to you, where are you? Where are you in your walk of faith? Where are you in your journey with God? Are you journeying towards him, away from him? Have you got no idea where you've actually got to? Where are you? Come to verse 10. He answered, Adam answered here, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I find Adam's response an interesting one because he doesn't say, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I knew that I'd done something wrong. He says, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. His response implies that more than about what he'd done, all of a sudden he was ashamed of who he was. In that moment, he was afraid that God would see him for actually the person that God had made him to be. The entirety of himself was laid bare physically, emotionally, spiritually. He was ashamed for his creator to see him like this. He was uncomfortable with who God had actually originally created him to be. And his eyes were opened to all that God had made him to be, but his view was now tainted by sin. It made him look at himself differently. It made him dislike the person that he was. And this carries on to this day where we live in a fallen world, a world which is no longer the very good as it was in the garden, a world where the stench of sin affects everything. Sin that ultimately makes us look at ourselves differently. And sin that brings with it self-loathing, it says to hate myself and how I've been made to be. And we feel uncomfortable with how we look. We feel uncomfortable with aspects of our personalities and we can feel ashamed of who we are. And if I'm honest, when I think about the things which I have tried to cover up over many years, of the things which I've tried to hide away, the things that I feel embarrassed about, uncomfortable with, ashamed of, the things that over the years I've worked hard to make sure that other people cannot see, the things that bring the most pain, the most striving, the most heartache, are not necessarily the things that I've done, 
but they're more to do with who I am and they're more to do with my view of myself or how I've other people's view of myself or how I perceive other people's views of myself and all of them the reason being is that because from this very moment everything was tainted by sin from this very moment in history my view of myself has been tainted by sin from this very moment other people's views of me and the way that I perceive their view of me has been tainted by sin, which means that I find myself, like Adam, saying, I'm ashamed of who I am, and that's why I'm trying to hide away. And that's why I'm covering it all up. And it's wrong. It was not part of God's original design. Where sin would say to hate myself and how I've been made, the Holy Spirit would say for us to hate sin and all that it brings with it and all the ways that that outworks itself. All the shame, the self-loathing, the fear of people knowing the real you, it's not from God, and God wants to shine a light on those areas of darkness today with his light. He wants to remind you that he knit you together in your mother's womb. He wants you to know that he knows every single part of you. He knows every single hair on your head. He wants you to know that he doesn't actually look at the outward appearance. He looks at your heart. He knows who you are as a person And he wants you to know that he sees every single part of your life, physical, emotional, spiritual, and he loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. And in this imperfect world where we hide, we cover up, and in a minute we'll see we blame others, God wants us to remind us to keep looking to him where we feel ashamed. Not to back off, not to hide away, but to go towards him, to be vulnerable. To step out, fix our eyes on him. To consider what he thinks of you, rather than what you think of yourself, or what others think of you, or what you perceive other people to think of you. Because what he says about you is not tainted by sin. And so that's what we need to look to. We need to go to that place of finding out, okay, what does God say about me? What does the Lord God say about me? Because that is the thing which is untainted by sin. And that's where we need to run to. And so for some of you, you'll need to do something very, very practical, like write down some of the truths of God and just stick them on the mirror that you see in the morning. And for some of you, you'll need to spend some time just listening to some songs which just bring you into a place where there's biblical truth in the worship. But we need to look to him because what he thinks of you is not tainted by sin. Again, Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And so God's already very graciously asked, where are you? Then he's a bit more specific with his questions in verse 11. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? And at this point, Adam gives the response that we some, the other response we sometimes give to shame. So we sometimes can cover things up or hide away. Now, the other side of it is we can try and shift the blame to other people. Verse 12, the man said, the woman you put here 
with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Okay, let's start emphasizing this. Okay, so the woman, the woman that you put here, she gave me some of the fruit from, from the tree. I mean, he's even blaming the tree at this point. And, and I ate it. Like, what else could I do? You've given me, no, he didn't even say you've given me here. What we'll find is that in, chap, in chapter two, when, when woman first comes along, Adam's like, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, I'm united. He's got so much love in this moment. And now it's, you put her here. It's not that you've given her to me or anything like that. There's no gift. There's no one fleshness about it. It's like you put her here. And the thing is that we, we do exactly the same thing. So it's so easy to shift the blame for our wrongdoings to those around us and, and to, to God ultimately as well. So we say, oh, the woman, the woman that you put in the office, in the job that you gave me, she's acting like that. And I don't want to offend her, so what am I supposed to do? Or we say, the guy who's in my hall's residence, who you put there at this university, which you've told me, you told me to, to come here, you knew that actually last night we'd be watching a film together and he, there'd be no one else in the house. And he came on to me, what else could I do? Or we say, that, that child in my classroom or in my family who you put here, who you put here, they will not listen to a thing that I say. What was I supposed to do? And we're faced with shame of things that we've done. We either try and hide away saying, I hope, I hope nobody saw that. If I just go to church as normal and just carry on with my normal life, you know, it'll be fine. Or we go on the attack and we start blaming everybody other than ourselves. Actually, like God's calling us to take responsibility. We see him talking to Adam here first and foremost. And then in verse 13, he says, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman says, The snake deceived me and I ate. The woman had responsibility too. God holds each of us accountable for our own wrongdoing. Adam blamed the woman. He blamed God. And God turned to the woman who then blamed the snake and said, well, the temptation was there. What was I supposed to do? Blame shifting and a lack of personal responsibility are further evidences of the consequences of sin for men and women every single day. So they're deceived they succumb to temptation. Their response is to hide, to cover up, to lash out, to blame other people. Probably sounds very familiar to our lives as well. We cover up, we hide, we blame. We lash out. We're still left with this overarching feeling of shame and guilt. And the answer on one level is easy and on the other level is completely life-changing and it's found in King Jesus by seeing his response to us and living in the good of that. And I want to finish by looking at a story in the New Testament in Luke's account of the life of Jesus. You'll find it in chapter 24 and the story begins at verse 13 
What we will just focus, we'll mainly focus on verses 30 and 31. They'll be the important ones. And I'll just, I'll just take you through what is happening in the story up to this point. So Jesus, in Luke's account, has died on the cross. And then there have been some sightings of him alive again. And we've got an account here of there's two people walking down a road discussing everything that has happened when Jesus himself comes and walks alongside them. They don't recognize him at this stage, which is why when he then asks them about you know, what, they're, what they're talking about, what they're upset about, they end up telling him about himself and about Jesus of Nazareth and all the things that have been happening. Jesus then explains to them why the Messiah had to die and opens up the scriptures to them. And they still don't see who he is. They got to the village where they were going and asked Jesus to stay with them until the next day, which he did. Then we have verses 30 and 31. It says this. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Notice the parallels between this story and what we've been reading about in Genesis 3. So we've got, in both stories, we've got two humans who were both offered food, who were offered that food by a supernatural being, by the, by the snake and by Jesus. And they were offered that food by a host who actually shouldn't have been giving it to them. The snake didn't have any right to give the fruit out to anyone. And we'll see that Jesus was a guest in this house as well. And then we have food accepted by people who don't recognize who is offering it. And this results in a profound new perception of spiritual reality. Their eyes were opened and they knew. It's the same phrase, their eyes were open, but in Genesis their eyes were open to shame, and in Luke's gospel their eyes were open to hope. Their eyes were open to the one who had conquered sin and shame, who could take all of their guilt away and end that separation from the Lord God. From where it was you will certainly die, Jesus conquered death. Where we, like Adam and Eve, try and clothe ourselves with metaphorical fig leaves and cover ourselves up, put on an appearance, Jesus invites us to be clothed in his garments of righteousness, of being right with God. Where they were hiding behind a tree, Jesus hung on a tree, nailed on the cross for us. Where we feel ashamed, he did not feel ashamed to go to that cross for you and for me. Where... We were once dead in our sin, we can now become alive in Christ. Where we might be born into this where we're born into this world in Adam, so to speak, and everything that that encapsulates just being in this world, we have an invitation to be in Christ. To know God, to follow Jesus, putting our trust in Him as the only way of conquering sin and having a full relationship with the Holy God. Where we were cowering away, now we are told we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. I'd like to invite the band to come up as I come into land. Where they felt ashamed of what they'd done, 
and who they were and where we have felt ashamed of what we've done and who we are, Jesus made a way that we can know our Heavenly Father, the Lord God, forever. We can know the truths of what He says to us and about us. And as we stand before Him, knowing everything that we are, bearing all of our vulnerabilities, all of our weaknesses, His heart towards us is full of grace and love. He wants to shine a light on those places of darkness today. He wants you to know him this morning and know the fullness of his love for you. And my prayer is that God, by his spirit, would open our eyes to all that he has already achieved. We'd like to stand. And I know, I know that just by reading some of these things and going through some of these topics, it will have stirred some things up. Now, the best response is to turn our gaze towards him, to dwell on Jesus, to consider what he has already achieved for us, to remind ourselves of what he has done for us. So the band are going to lead us, then Andrew will come up afterwards and help us as we respond.